Great. Well, uh, we're going to read the Bible now. So grab, grab the Bibles that you were given on your way in. Uh, and Andrew's going to come up now and, uh, and read God's word for us. Old Testament reading this morning is found in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 11 and invites you to follow along. It's found on page 134 of your pew Bible. Deuteronomy chapter 11 and we're reading verses 8 through 21. Observe, Observe therefore all the commands I am giving you today so that you may have the strength to go in and take over the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess and so that you may live long in the land that the Lord swore to your forefathers to give to them and their descendants a land flowing with milk and honey. The land you are entering to take over is not like the land of Egypt from which you have come, where you planted your seed and irrigated it by foot, as in a vegetable garden. But the land you are crossing the Jordan to take possession of is a land of mountains and valleys that drinks rain from heaven. It is a land the Lord your God cares for. The eyes of the Lord your God are continually on it from the beginning of the year to its end. So if you faithfully obey the commands I am giving you today to love the Lord your God and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. Then I will send rain on your land in its season, both autumn and spring rains, so that you may gather in your grain new wine and oil. I will provide grass in the fields for your cattle and you will eat and be satisfied. Be careful or you will be enticed to turn away and worship other gods and bow down to them. Then the Lord's anger will burn against you And he will shut the heavens so that it will not rain and the ground will yield no produce and you will soon perish from the good land the Lord is giving you. Fix these words of mine in your hearts and minds, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Teach them to your children, talking about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates so that your days and the days of your children may be many in the land that the Lord swore to give to your forefathers, as many as the days that the heavens are above the earth. And the, two, uh, the, new, the new Testament reading today is um, the second letter of John, which is found on page 864 of your Bibles. The elder, to the chosen lady and her children, whom I love in the truth, and not I only, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth which lives in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son will be with us in truth, will be with us in truth and love. It has given me great joy to find some of your children walking in the truth just as as the Father commanded us. And now, dear lady, I am not writing you a new command, but one we have had from the beginning. I ask that we love one another, and this is love, that we walk in obedience to his commands. As you have heard from the beginning, his command is that you walk in love. Many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world, Any such person is the deceiver and the antichrist. 
Watch out that you do not lose what you have worked for, but that you may be rewarded fully. Anyone who runs ahead and does not continue in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever continues in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not take him into your house or welcome him. Anyone who welcomes him shares in his wicked work. I have much to write to you, but I do not want to use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to visit you and talk with you face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your chosen sister send their greetings. This is the word of the Lord. It is the word of the Lord, and it's also the part we're going to be looking at a little more closely now. So if you have 2 John open, keep it open. Uh, If you don't, why not open it up now? Uh, Let me add my welcome, especially if uh, you're new or visiting. It's great uh, that you're able to come and join us this morning. So how about we pray, though, that God might speak to us clearly from his word. Let's pray. Dear Lord and Father, we thank you that in your kindness and mercy and love you've given us your word that we might have peace with you and know how to live lives uh, that do honour you and please you. Uh, Father, we thank you for the love you've shown us in Jesus and we pray that uh, you would be working our our hearts and minds now to hear uh, what you have to say to us that we would become more and more like him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, you've got uh, 2 John open in front of you. There at the end of verse 5. And this is his command, love one another. That's right, I do have more to say. Uh, It may have uh, perhaps worried you, I could see it in Scott's eyes, or maybe relieved you. Uh, Tradition has it, that's the sermon that the Apostle John gave. Uh, Apostle John, good mate of Jesus, author of this letter, uh, in his final years, Jerome recounts that John, uh, the last remaining Apostle, was often invited to speak at various churches. Uh, The crowds would gather to hear him Uh, Though this stage he was so weak and so frail, they had to to carry him into church and carry him up the front. And silence would fall, uh, partly out of respect for this great uh, man, great servant of God, and partly just straining to hear what he had to say because he was so weak, he could uh, could only speak very softly. And this was his sermon. Little children love one another. And then he sat down. That was it. And you can't help wonder what reaction he would have got. And maybe you can reflect a little on your own brief reaction. Uh, you know, was it relief? Oh, last, quick and to the point, if only our modern preachers could do the same. You know, maybe it was disappointment. You know, you, you've gathered to hear the last of the Lord's three closest friends. Uh, you've gathered to hear him speak and all he had to say to you was love one another. Couldn't you have got an anecdote in there about, you know, when he hung around with Jesus? Maybe it was concern that, that you know, has he gone sent off? Is he just a bit old? He, can't, he hasn't got it anymore? Maybe he's struck that, wow, he can sum up the content of the Christian life just so tightly. Love one another. Perhaps he's challenged. Yeah, maybe John was waiting for, Chris, waiting for, for the, the, the hearers, the Christian people, to actually live it out, uh, and then he'd bother giving a longer sermon. Uh, 
Little children love one another. Uh, It's the heart of that letter, true love. Uh, But like all simple statements, they, they actually need a bit of reflection and context so that you can go and put them into practice. So as we look at this letter now, uh, at this morning, it's going to help us in understanding how, how the truth of Christ actually simplifies who you must love. It also shows, perhaps a little more surprisingly, how the truth of Christ simplifies those you must not love. Who do you love? Who don't you love? The grounding of real love, true love, is itself the truth. That's what John spells out in those opening verses. Have a look at them again that Kate read to us. Um, The elder to the chosen lady and her children, whom I love in the truth, and not I only, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth which lives in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy and peace from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son will be with us in truth and love. See, the, the grounding of love is truth. So John the Elder writes to the chosen lady and her children um, and, and you know, his final greetings at the end in 13, uh, he refers to your chosen sister. He, it's clear he's using a euphemism uh, for a church. The Bible uses all sorts of metaphors to describe Jesus' gathering. Um, it uses buildings, it uses vines, it uses temples, bodies, marriage, all sorts of different images are invoked. Uh, but drawing your language here of family, makes it personal it brings out the relational nature of church life the family image is, is described in the church in verse one and it's matched in verse three by the emphasis on on god as father and jesus as god's son the gathering of christian people is family a family created by the grace and mercy and peace that god gives a family who is grounded in the truth You would have noticed the repetition of that word of truth over and over again in the letter and particularly in that opening. He loves them in truth. That's more than saying, I truly love you. It's saying, I love you in the truth of Christ. That is, their love is created by the fact that they share the same experience and the same understanding of who Jesus is. And that truth of Christ in verse 2 actually dwells in them. And so throughout this short letter, there's an interplay between truth and love because they're an inseparable package. You can't have one without the other. You can't have the love he goes on to describe if it isn't grounded in a real experience of the truth of Jesus living in you. And that love is lost if it ever compromises on that truth, if it leaves the grounding. Put simply, true love loves truth. Uh, Two points I want us to take away this morning. One is, because true love loves truth, it defines who you must love. The other, not surprisingly, uh, because true love loves truth, it defines who you must not love. Uh, First, and a little longer, um, who you must love. You must love one another. Actively, practically, you need to love other Christians kind of love for each other that actually invades every corner of your life so verse four uh, it has given me great joy to find some of your children walking in the truth just as the father commanded us and now dear lady i'm not writing you a new command but one we have had from the beginning i ask that we love one another and this is love that we walk in obedience to his commands 
as you've heard from the beginning, his command is that you walk in love. Love is, love is grounded there in truth. It's the expression of obeying God. It's what Jesus taught. Truth and love, as I've said, they're inseparably tied. And, and John wants him to understand, I'm not coming up with anything new. It's, it's always what God had taught. So in another spot, in a previous letter of his, John wrote in 1 John 3.23, and this is his command, the Father's command, to believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he commanded us. Love has always been there as the sign of knowing God from the very beginning. So it was from the beginning when they first heard the gospel, but, but it was from the beginning of Jesus' teaching and it was from even the, before the beginning of creation that God, when he was there before creation even began, lived in love. And he wants them to see that I'm not adding in an extra thing. This has always been what salvation and the, the saved Christian life has been about. It's not like... You know, you were saved and then a surprise additional is, oh, and by the way, you need to love other people. This is what you were saved into. This is the joy of Christian life, that if you know Jesus, you have to love his people. Not optionally, but it's essential to it. Now, remember, of course, Jesus isn't saying everything about love at this point. Uh, If you know some of his other teaching, you know the the story of the Good Samaritan in Luke 10, uh, you know that we can't actually place arbitrary limits on who we love. Anyone who comes across us who's in need, we, we need to care for. Uh, And likewise, if you know his Sermon on the Mount, you'll know that he pushes into that really uncomfortable spot where he says, actually, love your enemies. Pray for them. You know, there are complex layers to love and the Bible gets that. But there is a priority, isn't there, in who we need to love. Uh, So just in creation, we've, we've got to love our family ahead of strangers who we've never met who live on the other side of the world. You know, there's a priority in the Bible of loving people in need, the widows and the orphans, um, ahead of those who are secure and self-sufficient. There are priorities. And love for fellow Christians is not the limit of love, but it's the essential first step. It's the priority uh, for you and I today. And it's not just a, a kind of an extra bit on the side. It's got to invade all of us. That's that picture language again that he uses, uh, the language of walking. Steph, you know, I'm not going to ask you to get your fingers out and do it, but you would have noticed uh, Steph did that with um, our kids just a little while ago because there's something about walking, the language of walking that he uses, that it captures all of life. Wherever you go, you take your walk with you. That's just how it is. Everything you do is with your certain style of walking. It's identifiable. You know, you can spot what people are like by their walk. You can see that, you know, the, the confidence or perhaps the arrogance of, you know, the guy who wanders around with the chest out and the chin up and things like that. There's something about his walk you can tell what he's like or the, or the you know, uncertainty of the tall woman who, who slouches because she wants to kind of fit in a little more. And, you know, by walks we can tell something of the life of someone. Everyone has their own walk and you can spot them a mile off. There's a, a Paul Kelly, um, the... Uh, the singer and songwriter and you know, poet uh, wrote a song, uh, Same Old Walk, and, and he rediscovers, the, the, the song goes on, he rediscovers a, a former flame while he's waiting at the airport terminal. Uh, goes this way, You're wearing shades, your hair is red, it used to be light brown. I nearly didn't recognise, but then my heart unwound. I see you've got the same old walk. You know, she may have changed the look, but it's still her. He can spot it from the walk. How would people describe your walk? Would they say 
where they look and go, oh, yeah, she's still got that same old walk of love. You know, oh, he still walks in truth. He still walks in obedience to God. John wants every corner of his readers' lives to be characterised by that love for one another. What's it look like in practice? Because, you know, at its simplest, um, Christian love is, is being committed to the good of someone else with the same kind of commitment you have to doing good for yourself. Uh, and you must love other Christians, that, that's who, but, but how? Well, in the context of the rest of this letter, um, later on we're going to talk about who you mustn't love, uh, but the how is hospitality and fellowship. Uh, hospitality in the, in the biblical sense, um, very different from the way the word's used for us. Uh, we have a, a whole industry uh, called hospitality, which is completely inhospitable, um, in that they only do anything for you if you pay them, and if you choose not to pay them, somehow they're offended. Um, and yet biblical hospitality is the idea of inviting strangers in and making them guests and therefore friends. The idea of hospitality, biblical, is it can't be reciprocated. In that, once you invite someone in who was a stranger and they become your friend, well, they can't invite you back because when they invite you back, you're coming as a friend, not as a stranger. It's, they can still invite you, but it's no longer hospitality. Hospitality is inviting in that person whom we don't know. It's, it's not just having my friends over for another Friday night dinner. Do it. That's fun. It's great. It's just not hospitality. That's just having friends. And even Australians, we're not strong at even doing that inviting our friends over. A study was put out a week and a half ago um, that said that 7% of uh, our leisure time we spend entertaining our friends. 7%. Compare that with Turkey, they spend 43% of their time entertaining their friends. Um, We had a 43% of our leisure time. It was TV. Uh, Hospitality. Inviting other, other Christian people into your homes, into your life, stopping them being strangers and making them being your friends is a profound expression of love. Uh, many of us may remember Steve and Melinda Giblet who moved to the UK last year. Uh, let me give you some excerpts of some emails that uh, Steve's written me over that time, over a couple of months, as we've chatted. He said, uh, the, the church people here have been great. Melinda has had visits almost every day from other mums with young kids and we had Sunday lunch with a lovely family from church last week. They do the Sunday lunch thing really well here. Another email. Uh, We moved on Wednesday and are still unpacking and reorganising. It's chaos and Melinda is very worn out, but within two weeks we'll be set. Uh, A couple of ladies from church have just popped around unannounced with food and prepared meals to help. Uh, Yesterday, one lady just turned up at the front door and spent the whole day helping watch Portia and Ingrid so that Melinda could do some more unpacking and organising. If you don't know them, Portia and Ingrid are little girls. Very young. It's been such a blessing to have so much spontaneous and generous help without asking for any of it. The ladies at church are each taking it in turns to come around and help. Uh, We've not even met most of these people before and those we've met, we've only met once. Uh, It's really unbelievable kindness and it's helped enormously when the task of moving has seemed too huge. God is truly being honoured in their actions. Uh, A final one for a a later email. Uh, We had another drama a few weeks back. Uh, where we had to call an ambulance and rush Portia to hospital because she had febrile convulsion. Uh, I was in hospital for two days with her and she recovered fully. Uh, It was just a bad virus that had caused her temperature to skyrocket. 
Uh, it was pretty scary when it happened. And again, people from church were fantastic. They dropped me in food and clothes to change when I was stuck in the hospital and visited Melinda. Uh, they've been extremely supportive. Yeah. Hospitality to fellow Christians. You know, to the people who are here sitting around you this morning, uh, you know, maybe they're sitting there for the first time next to you. Uh, maybe they're Christians you just bump across in the ordinary path of life, just loving them, putting it into practice. You know, we have morning tea each week um, as an essential part of church because it's a launch pad for hospitality. But it's just a start. You know, the full expression, making Christian strangers into guests, can actually be scary because it's going to involve a lot. Uh, someone I read this week said, spend some money and one Saturday afternoon every eight weeks preparing for Sunday coffee hour? Sure. Uh, devote time, money and risk to welcoming a stranger into our midst? Not so sure. Do your children love one another? Now, the other expression John would see in this letter is, is in fellowship. Uh, fellowship is, is where hospitality ends up. It's, it's friendship with a common goal. Uh, as Christians, again, our common goal is the truth, the grace, peace and mercy that God the Father gives us through the truth of Jesus. It's the message of Jesus itself. It's that which holds us together, which he has entrusted to us individually and as a group. It's the message what we want to get out. And fellowship is an expression of that love where we actually work together using our different skills and gifts in our common goal to honour Christ. It's why the, the 125 celebrations coming up next week isn't just Haley's job who got up and announced what's going on. It's, it's our job. Yeah, we show our love for one another by working together, by, by giving our time, our finances, our prayers, our energy, that together Jesus might be better glorified in Kirribillion around here. Truth must out, must be lived out. Truth, true love loves truth. And so we have to love fellow Christians. We have to work together with them, and not just the people who are here. It's, it's across denominations, it's across churches, it's across parts of the world. You know, it's tempting to be suspicious of those who are just a little bit different uh, in other churches or denominations rather than having kind of a charitable assumption about them. You know, to, to seek to keep them away rather than invite them in and work together in the truth. But if we walk in the truth, we must love one another. Now, the second and much, much shorter point, John wants us to be clear on who we must not love. True love loves truth and so love has limits. There are even some people we, we must not love. Verse 7, Many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone out in the world. Any such person is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch out, you don't lose what you've worked for, but that you may be fully rewarded. Anyone who runs ahead and doesn't continue in the teaching of Christ doesn't have God. Whoever continues in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. Uh, if anyone comes to you and doesn't bring this teaching, don't take him into your house or welcome him. Anyone who welcomes him shares in his wicked work. Because true love loves truth, there's no blind acceptance. Uh, in John's circumstance, there are some particular deceivers out there who've come from within the church community and have gone out trying to represent Jesus and say things about Jesus, but they actually deny the truth. Um, their particular problem is they de deny the genuine humanity of Jesus. So what's at risk? Well, in verse 8, everything you've worked for, eternal reward, eternal life. 
Because if, if Jesus hasn't um, actually shared in our humanity, well, he, and he hasn't bodily risen, he, he hasn't genuinely substituted for our sins and defeated death and, and opened up life. You know, that kind of destroying of truth is destroying lives forever. And in the language of walking, in verse 9, these people have run ahead rather than walked in truth. And it's not a matter that they've, you know, just didn't know the truth, they've rejected what's been told to them. And then they're trying to spread what they've rejected. Now, John, John is clear, you must reject them. Do not love them. In verse 10, do not receive them. In other words, don't show them hospitality. Don't invite them into your home and especially don't invite them into the household of God, the church. Because if you welcome a deceiver like that, in verse 11, what do you do? You have fellowship with him. You share in his work. You start being involved in that destruction of other people's eternal souls. Thankfully, to, to the best of my knowledge, it's not an immediate issue in our congregation. Uh, it's more of a kind of preventative word than, uh, than a dire situation. But I am aware that you know, over supper in the evening, they've, in our evening congregations, there have been people who've come and tried to spread um, untruths about Jesus and what godly lifestyle is uh, to anyone who listen. And so we've actually got to be on our guard if we're going to be loving. So this you know, pulpit, I suppose, is fairly heavily guarded uh, you know, by me, by Paul, by the leaders of our church, by our denomination. Um, but I'm, un- I'm not under the illusion that the only way we hear about Jesus is by sitting through a sermon once a week. Uh, there's lots more teaching that goes on. And so each one of us actually has to be careful. We need to regularly read the Bible so that we know where the, the lines in the sand actually are, are drawn. Uh, there's a stereotype of evangelical kind of preachers that, you know, the application every week is, and you should read your Bible more. Uh, and uh, I trust that's not the only part of godly living, that if you come regularly here, you hear. Uh, but we do need to hear it. Oh, yeah, we're busy. But we do have control of decision after decision during the day. It is actually in our power to crack open the Bible rather than skim the paper or surf the net or flick on the telly. And for those of us who are reading our Bibles regularly, you know, push yourself further to read Christian theology that you might know where those lines in the sand are drawn. Because if you don't, you're going to end up loving the wrong people. And worse than that, you'll end up in fellowship with the Antichrist. That's the language he uses in verse 7, the Antichrist. That's fairly confronting. You know, it's kind of challenge our bishops and, and higher-up authorities wrestle with, and we've got to pray for them that, as they deal with other parts of uh, the Anglican Church around the world. But, but the danger's never that far away. You know, true love loves truth. And there are some people you, you can't love, you must not show hospitality to, and don't be in fellowship with. Uh, in the end, I've spoken for some time over a very short letter. Uh, if everything else falls out of your minds this morning, remember the Apostle John's super short sermon. Uh, Dear children, love one another. Let's pray. Lord and Father, may we be people who are marked by a love for one another. May we so know the truth of Jesus and everything he's done for us, the grace and mercy and peace we've received in him, that we would be uh, completely changed and transformed to be other person-centred, that we would be loving our fellow Christians, uh, not just when we gather on a Sunday, but all through our lives. It would be the pattern of our walk. And Father, we, we pray for your protection on our church, that we would not uh, give in to error uh, or be in partnership with it, but we would know the truth 
and for the sake of others defend it.